0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of JM Rewind. JM Rewind gives us a chance to check out some of the people who were recently guests on JM in the AM. Ellie Kleiman joined us to discuss a very important and historic exhibit, which is going up in Auschwitz on the 1st of July. Ellie Kleiman, founder and president of H Memorial Museum, with us on a recent edition of JM in the AM here on JM Rewind at the Nahum Siegel Network. It's been wonderful over the last couple of weeks. I've had a chance to reunite with uh, Ellie Kleinman, who's been an amazing leader in our community for many, many years. Saw him at a couple of different events, including last night, the one we spoke about uh, with Investors Bank and Beaker Holim. And he told me um, a couple of weeks back about this unbelievable project that he has undertaken, and that is literally going to be off the ground uh, 10 days from now. And I think it is such an exemplary Project One that the Frum community, especially, I think everybody in the Jewish world, but especially those who are um, ritually, uh, uh, um, how do I put it, ritually observant, I think will find it even more uh, fascinating and intriguing. And he's here to discuss this with us live via telephone. He's founder and president of the Amudeish Memorial Museum, the Kleiman Holocaust Education Center. Ellie Kleiman, welcome back to JM in the AM.
1: Good morning, Nachum. It's so good to be back talking to you. I appreciate
0: that, and this project you have is amazing. Let's start for a moment before we talk about what you're doing next week. Just give us a general overview of the Kleiman Holocaust Education Center and how that effort, which we spoke about years ago, how it's
1: been going over the last few years. Okay. So, actually, it's called the Amuresh Memorial Museum. Right. um, And we have an education component within the museum. and we are currently in a temporary location in Mill Basin, in Brooklyn, um, but it's operating as a full blown museum just for school children from uh, grade seven through twelve wow. over the last close to four years, not quite four years we've had over forty thousand kids school kids coming through um, they come in large school groups on a regular basis during these during a scheduled uh, school year um, and they come in for a day at a time where we have uh, We have workshops, lectures, there's an exhibit area, uh, and what we are doing is teaching them the Holocaust from a faith-based, from perspective, which has been largely overlooked by all the primary Holocaust venues in the world. What we're looking at, or what we're trying to teach them, is first of all about the rich history of European Jewry, which started a thousand years ago. You have all the communities that were developed, um, the Hasidic communities, the yeshiva world, and they were destroyed. I mean, that was the objective of Hitler, mm-hmm. to destroy them, and many of those communities were destroyed, as we know. And it's, it's learning about the previous generations, about the grandparents, great-grandparents, etc., and what those communities were about before the war, what they went through in the Holocaust, and, of course, the miracle of the rebirth and the rebuilding of Qal Yisroel after that devastation.
0: The um, uh, First of all, I admire how diplomatically you've put it, uh, but essentially uh, you you realized that there was a need uh, for, uh, for Holocaust education from the perspective that you just mentioned for that age group, 7th through 12th grades. And with the numbers that you're getting, it's obvious that a lot of schools and a lot of programs out there are taking advantage of what you're providing.
1: Absolutely, and we do hope uh, one day to establish a permanent location. We're working on something in in Manhattan uh, where it can be a full, large-sized, large full-scale museum. But to give you an example of the necessity of, of Holocaust education today and to know what happened 75 years ago, 80 years ago, um, my staff was telling me that they had a school group last year from Muncie. It's just one example,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, high school girls. And the standard question that the lecturer gives during the course of the lecture is how many Jews were killed, were killed in the Holocaust? Right. And a young lady raises her hand and says 3,000. So that's kind of scary right. to know that not that many years ago and that, that this generation was almost destroyed and that our current Uh, generations, just are not connected. and They don't know. There's an absolute necessity um, for them to understand what happened, especially in this crazy world that we've got today, this world which is rife with anti-Semitism that is re-emerging in a very, very big and dangerous way.
0: Yeah, and it's usually the enemy uh, that's uh, quoting a number 3,000 or one even much lower than that. Uh, Well, your point is well taken, and you uh, you know obviously this audience uh, certainly Agrees with you. It is a a noble effort and a wonderful one. I'm so glad it's getting such a good reaction. Ellie Kleiman is with us live via telephone, Amoud Aish Memorial Museum. Now, what you told me and what's really happening next week, which you'll describe, is you've wanted to, it seems, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you'll tell us, uh, you've wanted to take this concept that you just described and bring it to one of the most high-profile World War II areas in the entire world. Uh, Explain what's happening next week in Europe.
1: When you say the word Auschwitz, or Auschwitz-Birkenau, the picture that everybody gets, that's the representation of the concentration camps Mm -hmm. during the war. That's the iconic symbol of concentration camps. And for the first time in the history of Auschwitz, the Auschwitz Memorial State Museum is allowing an outside organization, which is us, the Muresh Memorial Museum, to open an exhibit on the grounds of the concentration camp. It's an exterior exhibit. Um, of 18 living from Jewish survivors, that um, it's it, the way it was designed. It's like a stainless steel bridge, so to speak. Um, it's on the outside, right on the side of the entrance, as you come into Auschwitz, and you walk down this 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 bridge, this path. It's not high up; it's on the ground, stainless steel, and you have these large poster size photographs of each of these survivors mm-hmm. encased in glass and there's a quote from them based on interviews that were conducted of them which states how they were able to get through that death world of Auschwitz with their Betachen and amuna, and with Mesiris Nefesh, how all those things were kept intact and how in fact their faith was what got them through and that's a lesson that we can all learn that in the most difficult time in the worst condition that a human can endure, that they still remember that uh, Kaddish Baruchel will get them through if they only have that resilience and that drive in them to try. It's
0: an incredible message and such an important one, and one, as you said, has never been emphasized before in such a public forum. Uh, Ellie, a couple of details. First of all, it will be available there from when to when? For how many months will it be actually at the site of Auschwitz?
1: The actual opening of the exhibit is going to be Monday, July 1st, and it will be there in place for a year and a half as we go into 2020, 2020 is the 75th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz. Right. And just so you understand how this came about, very briefly, for the last number of years, Muresh has been sending um, uh, teachers, lecturers to Auschwitz for a few weeks, usually December time, uh, to teach the guides and docents in Auschwitz how to conduct the tour, a religious tour of Auschwitz, right. and that's how it came about. Um, and the concept developer of, of the exhibit is our chief curator, Dr. Henry lustiger Taller. and he engaged Carol Anglander, who is a world-renowned photographer, sure. uh, chair, chairwoman of the International Center for Photography in New York, and they traveled around the world to interview and photograph the survivors, and then they engaged um, a world-famous a- architect, Daniel Liebeskind. Uh, he's the master architect of the rebuilding of the World Financial Center, as well as the a museum, Jewish Museum in Berlin, and many, many, many iconic and, and important structures around the world. Daniel designed the exhibit, and it is it is an unbelievable, magnificent uh, testimony to resilience and to faith, um, and also to the memories of those who perished.
0: You know, I, you basically went with a one talent in every area of this, which is, <laughs> frankly, befitting. Uh, you know, the memory of those who. Uh, who were lost. You know, you, you literally went to the experts in each field to participate Absolutely. In, in this effort.
1: And, and, and then I, Ahmed and and I, and I, I, travels. It goes after the year and a half in Auschwitz. Um, it's going to be disassembled. It's going to be going to Russia first, then Israel throughout the United States, and then to Canada. We expect this to be on the road from, for a number of years.
0: Uh, I hate to be that guy, but I'm just too curious not to ask. Is it hard to get this? to be accepted by those who are, I guess we'd say, in charge of the memorial at Auschwitz? is, it, is it, Was it a difficult negotiation to have them agree that this be there for 18 months?
1: No, it was not, because we have that relationship that we've developed with them over the years. Um, they have a lot of respect for what we're, we're doing. They have an understanding for what we're doing and accomplishing, and it's something different that's just not present.
0: Right, it's not done anywhere and
1: um, so, you know, we, we got it done. It took time, obviously. There's a lot of legalities, a lot of discussion, even just about uh, erecting the memorial, because the, the exhibit, because you really can't knock things into the ground over there. So right. there was all kinds of uh, challenges that we had to get over, but we got it.
0: And the other thing, and you know how important this is to me, and I, I'd, lo- I'd love for you to help me emphasize this, uh, this effort, which is all about faith, as you described, uh, is being undertaken uh, not only by you, but the, the team you've put together and the talent you've put together from all types of Jewish backgrounds. Would that be accurate to say? that people, That is very accurate. People For- of all, I mean, you, you are united from the most ritually observant to those who are call them what you wish, you know, dedicated you know, Jewish, peer, Jewish people in spirit or whatever term people like to use. Spiritual. And, spiritual. Right, spiritual. And, and all the way in between, and everyone in between, I should say. You, you have developed a team and a relationship with people who have one goal, and that is to emphasize the faith-based um, uh, aspect uh, to, the, to the Holocaust and to Holocaust survival. And I think it's important to point out, I mean, I could only imagine how unifying this whole effort felt to you along the way.
1: That's, you got it. You're right on the mark. First of all, our, our staff at the museum is diversified. We have Hasidish, we have yeshivish, we have all kinds of people that are working for us. Secondly, the, um, it, you can see the pictures of the school groups that have come through from, from, from Hasidic to the most modern um, orthodox and uh, all kinds of, of groups from, from the, the uh, metropolitan area. In addition, there's an annual school contest, Nachum, uh, which uh, is available to schools around the country, and it's posted on the web. And two years ago, we had one of the winners from uh, the West Coast was a public school non-Jewish child um, who, who saw this and said, I want to enter, and actually won one of the prizes.
3: Wow, very nice.
1: So, so it's, it's, it's very accurate that this is open to anybody, and... This is this is the most basic important education that that a Jewish child should have right now.
0: Will all the participants, uh, all the talented people, and the supporters, will they all be with you, July first, there at Auschwitz?
1: We have a crowd of about 120 people. We wow. expect to be there. Um, again, all kinds of people that are coming to participate. We're doing an actual trip, which is starting on uh, Thursday, June 27th. We'll be going through Poland, um, through through Warsaw. Um, going through several cities. We're going to be uh, going to um, uh, Lizhensk. We're going to do a lot of Lublin, a lot of the important stops in Poland over the course of Thursday and Friday. And we're spending Shabbos in Krakow. Um, and then we have tours of Benjin, which was another uh, important Jewish town in Poland. Uh, that's on Sunday. And then Monday is a special tour in Auschwitz itself for the group and the ceremony at 5 p.m. Then we return to Krakow for a closing dinner. Everybody will be leaving Tuesday morning. We expect a nice crowd, an important crowd of people coming from all over. Um, And of course if you know if anybody's still interested I can uh, get some basic information. Um, All you have to do is um, go to org and uh, click on the link for the Poland trip 2019 or call the uh, Amurash office at 718-759 Six two oh oh extension one five oh four, and one of our staff will pick up and be happy to give information.
0: Information, and by the way, folks, you should know that I told Ellie. If not for my uh, schedule on the first of July, this was a trip that I actually considered when when meeting him and hearing about this. Being there uh, with him, this is unique. Uh, just when you know the cynics out there might say, "Oh, another memorial. Oh, another uh, you know, uh, another uh, concept having to do with the Holocaust." This is one. Uh, that has really never been done before and certainly has never been exhibited in the fashion that Ellie has made sure this is going to be exhibited both at Auschwitz and then around the world afterwards. Uh, information about the trip if you want to join. Again, it leaves one week from today, but uh, these days people pick up at the last minute and go on missions right. like this. Uh, it's uh, amudeh.org, amudeh.org. There's information about the June 2019 trip. Plus you could dial 718-759-6200. 718 759 6200, extension 1504, and uh, get information that way as well. Well, Ali, call out kavod. I Kavod. Uh, like I said to you when I saw you, I thought this was something uh, noteworthy and something that uh, even, as you said, 75, 80 years later, uh, something important uh, in the uh, in the arena of Holocaust Memorial and exhibits that uh, demonstrate what went on uh, during World War II. So call out kavod, and I hope that the trip, which uh, you're going to be leaving on, a week from today is a great success and, and really a big Kiddush Hashem. I think there's a tremendous element and potential for Kiddush Hashem uh, within this exhibit, and I'm sure you feel that as well. Absolutely. Thank you, Ellie. and good luck. Thank you, Nachum. Ellie Kleiman is founder and president of the Amudeish Memorial Museum. As you heard, he leaves a week from today with a very distinguished group of over 100 people um, for this, um, what will be on Monday, July 1st, the uh, inaugural uh, the dedication of the uh, a special exhibit, faith-based exhibit of Holocaust um, Memorial and Holocaust survival uh, at Auschwitz. And that will, uh, after a year and a half, will uh, actually travel as an exhibit, become a traveling exhibit around the world, all part of the Amut Asian Memorial Museum effort to uh, continue to educate people from a unique and faith-based perspective about the Holocaust. Call a call to e. Kleinman and his... That was my conversation with Ellie Kleinman founder and president of a Mudeish memorial museum up next aviva kempner uh, it's her documentary about mo berg which is uh, uh causing quite a uh, positive stir in the world of cinema mo berg a uh, a hero who was not only a major league baseball player but a very proud member of the jewish community who was a, an, an extremely effective spy for the united states during world war ii aviva kempner the uh, documentarian the producer of the most recent documentary about Mo Berg, my recent guest on JM and the AM here on JM Rewind at the Malcolm Siegel Network, um, Aviva Kempner is with us live via telephone. She is the producer and director of an amazing brand new documentary uh, about Mo Berg. Many of you have heard of Mo Berg. I bet a good part of this audience has not heard of Mo Berg. It's called the Spy Behind Home Plate. Mo Berg. The spy behind home plate. He was a Jewish baseball player in the major leagues. He caught in the majors from the 20s through 1939 during baseball's golden age. At the same time, he worked for the United States Office of Strategic Services spying in Europe. I have seen the movie. It is amazing. Aviva Kepner, welcome to JM in the AM.
4: Thank you so much. I appreciate the compliment.
0: Uh, yeah, you deserve a big compliment. Look, I mean, this is, as they say in baseball, this is right in my wheelhouse. <laughs> Talk about modern Jewish history and baseball. Put the two together, and I'm really, really happy. And I thought you did an amazing job. I wasn't even aware of how much the, uh, I guess you'd say, the, the culture industry in this country was aware of Mo Berg. Lots of books, a whole bunch of stuff written about him. But yours is the first full-length documentary. Why would you make the film?
4: Well, I have um, my modus operandi is to make films about underknown Jewish heroes, Jews fighting Nazis and Partisans of Illinois. I already made a film on Hank Greenberg, the Jewish Hall of Famer slugger, on Gertrude Berg and the Goldbergs, and Julius Rosenwald, the very generous philanthropist. So. Um, there was a gentleman in Phoenix, William Levine, who offered me the chance to make this film, and I, I grabbed it because, as a child of a Holocaust survivor, it's really important for me to do stories about the unknown Jewish heroes, especially those fighting the Nazis. So, yeah, um, as we as we love the
0: life of luxury and comfort and peace in this country, we got to thank people like Moberg.
4: Yeah, I mean, can you imagine if the Nazis had succeeded in developing? A nuclear capability, which is what um, Mo's assignment was, is to figure out exactly if and when the Nazis could um, unleash nuclear power. Right. You know, the- while we were busy, sec- very secretly developing the Manhattan Project.
0: Right. The U.S. needed to know to what degree uh, the Nazis were in that uh, in that pursuit, and he. He figured it out. He figured out how to find out and uh, and uh, brought that information or sent that information back to the United States. Is it hard to do research on a figure who
4: did a lot of stuff, frankly, in secrecy? So in the last couple of years, more OSS documents have been declassified, so I had more access to documents. But also, some filmmakers, Jerry Feldman and Neil Goldstein, Neil, who's in the film, had thirty years ago done interviews with those who had played with Mo and spied with Mo. And it was those interviews that really give first hand accounts how he was in the in the bullpen, on the baseball field and, you know, on off season, especially two trips to Japan. Uh, with other fellow baseball players and then those who, who spied with him and what assignments he was and what he was able to do.
0: And so, those those trips to Japan were key to his success.
4: Right. Well, it was also the second trip in '34, where Japan had already invaded Manchuria. This was uh, a chance to sort of mow on his own volition, I think, try to figure out, um, you know, document the 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 Tokyo landscape, because back then they had Bell and Howell cameras had just come out, and he and other uh, baseball players on this big 34 all-star trip that included Babe Ruth and Lou Gehring and Charlie Gehringer and Lefty Gomez, et cetera. Moe was able to document what was happening in Tokyo, but luckily there's a lot of shots of Mo too, because it, it's not so easy to find footage of him.
0: Aviva Kempner is with us live by a telephone producer and director of uh, The Spy Behind Home Plate, the story and documentary about Mo Berg.
4: Which is returning at the Quad this weekend at 13th and 6th. I'm very excited. It's played it a little while. Right, on ma- off the screen and backed by popular demand.
0: Right. The major theater, the Quad, 13th Street, 6th Avenue in Manhattan, it returns this weekend. I am highly Highly recommending it. What's been the reaction so far to those who've seen it in the theater? Oh, my gosh.
4: I mean, you know, I'm oftentimes at many screenings. I I read it was in New York. and The reaction is, um, I mean, I hate to brag, but the word most used is brilliant.
0: Yeah, it is. I think it's amazing.
4: And if you want to find out where else it's playing in the country, it's opening all in florida this weekend i'm going to detroit where i grew up in chicago where it's opening go to spybehindhomeplate.org that literally is playing all around america
0: spybehindhomeplate.org that tells you where the uh... moberg documentary is playing what do you need to be a spy what did he have <laughs> what did he have what qualities did he have because i couldn't be a spy they'd they'd rat me out in ten seconds
4: <laughs> well i think there's several things um... It's interesting because he and some of the others that are depicted in the film, he had language abilities. Right. He maybe spoke up to ten languages. Although the joke was he couldn't hit many of them, right. but he actually hit two forty three for not his bad. career. So not bad. Not bad for a bad Newark boy, for especially a catcher. Right. A lot of discretion, knowing the lay of the land, being able to you know go in and out of countries, and, and a lot of bravery because you have to. Realize a Jewish male could be discovered at any moment, right. and and that an would be American the, Jewish male,
0: and that would be the end of and, his life. Essentially,
4: yeah, and one who had played in baseball. Right? You know, when you look High up profile. the records, it, it's, he he really risked his life every day to be able to spy for this country? So, but you paint the picture. Amazing.
0: But you paint the picture as if he's a guy who liked risking his life.
4: Oh, I think he he accepted the challenge and um, performed it very well. Um, yeah, I think there's certain people who have more of a propensity to, of either being risk takers. I mean, already, uh, once he had started his baseball career, in the winters, when he, he also had gone to law school, which he didn't even want to pr- practice the law, in the winters, he had gone and traveled the world. So um, it's someone who I think enjoyed being in other countries and... You know, um, being secretive. I mean, I think it was partly a personality.
0: Uh, so. Aviva Kempner's with us talking about the, the Mo Berg documentary, "The Spy Behind Home Plate." As a ball player, and look, you did the Hank Greenberg story. You know what it's all about when you're a Jew in the major leagues at that time. You know the anti-Semitism, etc. But it seems that Mo Berg, at least the way you paint the picture, it, it was beyond the normal anti-Semitism. It was there was a certain respect, a certain I don't know, a certain camaraderie. That yeah, he, you know, that he, it's
4: interesting because Hank certainly faced every day from the opposing team and from the stands all these anti-Semitic, politically incorrect catcalling. Mo did not face that right. in his career, although in Princeton there's a story where, you know, can a Jew, uh, first of all, you're labeled a Hebrew back then in the 20s, mid-20s, when he was playing on the team and also graduating cum Kamala, from Princeton, um, there's this whole thing, can you get into the dining club? Can other Jews get there? So that was the only evidence we found of anti-Semitism, you know, of course, shorter than the film. So
0: what was it about his personality that people like Babe Ruth and others respected him and felt a kinship to him? Did they know about his dedication to the U.S.? Was that part of
4: it? <laughs> well, one thing is a great story where they're going to Japan by boat, and before they leave, I think it was Seattle, uh, Babe Ruth says to... Mo, well, you speak Japanese, and he said no. Right. But he had actually been there in '32. By the time they got to Japan, he was greeting people in Japanese. Right. And he says, "Well, I thought you told me you couldn't speak Japanese." <laughs> he says, "Well, that was two weeks ago." Right. And we also have um, <laughs> Babe Ruth's daughter talk about how she danced with Mo, and he like sort of came on to her. So, so there was that was a... a lot of fun to also show how charming he was.
0: Right, that's it—the charm, the personality. It's it's funny how. You know, as much as there's basic anti-Semitism and hatred of 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 people of different groups in general, uh, certain personalities can get beyond that, can get past it because of just the way they are and the and the uh, you know the the uh, the the type of 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 um, yeah you know, the type of spirit they exude, and I think he had that.
4: Yeah. No. Exactly. You know. And another thing that I think is really important is in North Korea now, or in the Middle East, or in Russia. You know, we're really worried about are these countries going to unleash nuclear power? Right. And, you know, who are the spies today? I think just showing what Mo did and how dangerous it was sort of tells you about, you know, what today's worlds were and how important immigrants were in wartime because they know the languages. They know the customs of before. And plus, right now, I think we need some Jewish heroes. We always need Jewish heroes, but... No with question. all this anti-Semitism arising in the world.
0: No question about it.
4: Uh, and, unfortunately, some Jewish men getting in trouble, especially in New York. Mm-hmm. It's nice to know. Well, actually, Mo is from New Jersey, but it is a great story. If new- someone says in the film, you couldn't make it up. He's a Newark boy, after all. Right.
0: Uh, the uh, movie, The Spy Behind Home Plate, it's the Mo Berg documentary. Aviva Kempner is the producer and the director. It is in New York this weekend at the Quad on 6th Avenue and 13th Street Plus. You'll find out everywhere in this country where it's playing by going to the website, spybehindhomeplate.org. Spy Thank you so
4: much. Spy yeah. be- and, um, for those of you who are following contemporary baseball, Brad Osmos, who is the manager of the Los Angeles Angels is in the film talking about Moe, and I chose to interview him because he's uh, a former catcher, went to an Ivy League school himself, Dartmouth, and, of course, he's Jewish.
0: And you have some great interviews beyond him. You have a lot of amazing interviews, people who knew him well and people who certainly uh, knew him, uh, you know, the baseball writers and others that you spoke to. It's it's a great film. I loved it. Uh, Spybehindhomeplate.org. Spybehindhomeplate.org. Aviva continued. Good luck with this. Hope Thank it con- you so much, Hope- and see you at the movies. See you at the movies is right. Hope it continues to go really, really well. Check it out, everybody. The Moburg documentary, SpyBehindHomePlate.org. It's playing in New York this weekend. A bunch of places. I've even mentioned uh, Florida, Detroit, and it's all around the country. Check it out on the website and enjoy. That was my conversation with Aviva Kempner, producer of the documentary about the historic figure, Moburg Up next are by Avi Fishoff. Uh, we recently were at an event where Investors Bank and Beaker Hollam announced a unique and wonderful partnership between private industry and the public service by Avi Fischoff, who leads the Beaker Hollam organization on a recent edition of JM and the AM. Here he is on JM Rewind at the Nachum Siegel Network. Last night, as I mentioned earlier today, last night I had the uh, a wonderful opportunity, um, uh, courtesy of Avi Fischoff and the Beaker Hollam uh, organization, to um, be at what has um, been called a private-public partnership event. Investors Bank, and we were in the uh, branch on 13th Avenue in Brooklyn, and Beaker Holim had this uh, event together last night at the bank, and um, essentially it honored the president and CEO of Investors Bank, uh, Kevin Cummings, and at the same time recognized the the unique uh, partnership that Investors has with uh, organizations in our community, including Beaker Holim, who are the recipients of a wonderful grant to keep going with their incredible services, which, believe it or not, have been have been helping, have been assisting members of our community since 1952. The CEO of Beaker Cholim Chesed Organization, Guardians of the Sick, is Rabbi Avi Fischoff. He is with us live via telephone. Rabbi Avi, welcome back
2: to JM in the AM. Good morning. Great to be here.
0: Uh, Pleasure. Uh, Tell me about this unique relationship. How did investors find out about Beaker Holim, and how did they decide to um, uh, go ahead and support the great work that you do?
2: Going back to 2012, we uh, needed a little extra help besides the government grants. And uh, somebody just told me that Investors Bank, led by their president, CEO Kevin Cummings, is out there in the community and they just began open new branches and they're willing to get out into the community and helping other organizations to do that. Of course, and naturally in return, they'd like people to use their bank. Sure. for bank services. So I got an appointment, made an appointment, took a while with um, Mr Kevin Cummings out in Short Hills in the main offices, and through Mendy Feigenbaum, who's Our uh, vice president, as well as a board member who uses the bank for many years in his business interests in New Jersey, introduced me, and we went out there. And I met both a gentleman and a businessman, and I would say mainly a gentleman. He received us so beautifully. We spoke for a while, and I presented him with all our services. Wrote up a bio and a short update of what we did the past weeks. and Kevin Strass got on and joined the bandwagon, and before we knew it, they were a, literally a partner of ours. And we had a little function in the bank back in the 2012 in April, and now eight years later, we have it again.
0: Yeah, pretty amazing. It was a nice event. Kevin Cummings was the honored guest, president and CEO of Investors Bank. And as we pointed out last night, Ronnie Schaufer, the regional vice president of Investors, also needs to be uh, acknowledged. Uh For his role in all this, and as you said earlier the uh you know when a bank or a business steps up and supports an organization important to our community we we without a problem, recommend to our listeners and to our constituents to go and do business with an organization or a bank a corporate entity like that so i don't think there's anything wrong with saying that everybody in the community needs to know that investors has invested in the community, and if there are people out there who want to do business with a bank, they should check them out right
2: exactly. We had many businessmen there, and all were introduced to Kevin. Everyone walked away impressed. They haven't met a man a gentleman as Kevin Cummings. Yeah, it was And uh, we keep on working with them. We, of course, use them as well.
0: Now, you uh, you were with us during the Our Community Show United Task Force a couple of weeks back. Um, you outlined for us what Beaker Holm has done since the early 1950s uh, in the Brooklyn area. Uh One thing I do want you to emphasize during this appearance for our audience is that those services just keep on increasing now in twenty nineteen the list of what beaker hollam is doing for the community is not just- is not just hospital visits or the the traditional beaker hollem uh impression that people have it it is a variety a long list and wide variety of services and am I right that that list keeps growing
2: list keeps growing and expanding elasticizing as well we um our wording, our logo is young to old. Right. We help kids going to camp this year. Our camp scholarship fund has been there for many years. And as all know, we've helped many Holocaust survivors and we continue to grow. There still are, unfortunately, people that do, I should say, fortunately, right. people that do need our help. And we are there to help them with whatever anybody needs. Just knock on our door and we're there. And with the help of investors and others, we hope to continue to do it for many more years.
0: Amen. Investors Bank, we salute you. Kevin Cummings, their president and CEO, was honored by Beaker Holm last night at this unique private-public partnership event. Information, you just log on. You'll find investors on the web, certainly, and you can uh, uh, and you can uh, seek out someone like Kevin Cummings or any of his great staff members uh, to talk business. And when it comes to Beaker Holm, which has been such an unbelievably uh, stalwart organization in our community, Uh, based, of course, in uh, Brooklyn, New York, on 11th Avenue. Uh, They are there with services for one of the most potent and largest Jewish communities in the entire world. They could be of any help to you or your parents or grandparents or anybody in that area. You could dial 718-438-2020, 718-438-2020. Rabbi Avi Fischoff, we thank you for including us and uh, continue your amazing work on behalf of the Jewish people.
2: Thank you. Have a great day.
0: That was my conversation with her by Avi Fishoff. Up next, David Wiseman. Uh, Follow Team Israel is a great page on Facebook. David's a co-founder. He spoke with us recently on JM and the AM. Here he is on JM Rewind at the Naum Siegel Network. Uh, David Wiseman is with us live via telephone. Uh, David Wiseman has created or co-founded a um, a page on Facebook that, frankly. It's another one of those things that I wish I co-founded. <laughs> it's a, it's a, uh, it's a um, Facebook page that's called Follow Team Israel, Follow Team Israel, and it is not dedicated to one sport, it is not dedicated to one athlete, it is dedicated to one cause. David Weissman, welcome to JM and the AM. Thank you very much. I bet more Pleasure to be here. I bet more than just I have said to you. They wish they co-founded this page.
5: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, so many people love sport and and love Israel, and, and that's sort of what was the reason for creating it. Our, our passions for both of them.
0: You know, I mean, on this show for years, we anything having to do with Judaism and sports or Jude, or Israel and sports, uh, as the two uh, former or the two latter intersect, uh, we've always featured it and we take great pride in Olympic athletes and team sports and when you know, when, when any Israel or Jewish uh, team does well. You've really, you've really incorporated all of that uh, into one place, uh, into the Follow Team Israel page. Now, I don't want to speak for you. Um, I don't know if my description just now is sufficient. How would you describe what people can find on the Follow Team Israel Facebook page?
5: So basically, you know, we we scour the internet and uh, everything that's out there for all the news that's concerning about Israel and Jews in sport. And as you can imagine, there's a lot that happens out there. So, you know, I think even scratching the surface of it. But basically, you know, there's incredible stuff happening all the time. And and the craziest thing is that people don't really necessarily even knowing about it. You know, just this weekend. Is a team of 40 Israeli athletes have headed off to Minsk to compete in the European Championships. That's a multi-regional sport. Um, in a couple of weeks, we've got Israeli softball and baseball teams trying to qualify for the Olympics. Yeah. An incredible story, as Israel hasn't had a, uh, a team in a, in a ball sport at the Olympics in 40 years, yeah. plus all the individual athletes out there. And the thing that's most important for us is that Our athletes that are representing us sacrifice so much for us. And and often, you know, they're not being paid well because they're not professional athletes in big-time sports. And so it's important for us to let them know what the fans think about them and connecting them with their fans so that they really feel like everything they're doing, you know, is, is, is truly appreciated.
0: Yeah, it's really cool. It's really cool. Your most recent posts include a happy birthday. The Team Israel's Coach of the Year, Oren Smadja, Post about uh, Robert Kraft and the Genesis Prize, a post about the uh, uh, Israeli fencers, a post about the Minsk 2019 European Games, which opened Friday in Minsk. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of wonderful things going on in sports. And I guess the. uh, Oh, there's a roller hockey post as well. And I guess the the best way to put this is that when a team from Israel, or one again that's identifiably Jewish, travels the world, especially if it's a high profile sport, you know you're going to see. A wonderful number of followers, sometimes in the tens, sometimes in the hundreds, sometimes in the thousands, who are there in the stands with their Israeli flags and cheering on for the one purpose, and that's to support Israel and support the Jewish people. And here, I think, with this page, it's essentially what you're doing. We get a chance to celebrate wonderful people among our people who are representing us really nicely in you know in different arenas around the world.
5: Yeah, you're 100% correct. It's only uh, positive. We're just sharing positive stories that really make people uh feel better about themselves and you know it's interesting that you brought up the fencing you know no one really follows fencing a lot or knows anything about fencing but suddenly we have a fence to win gold i mean everyone feels sort of pride pride about that yeah. um you know and, and it's not really about the sport per se but it's really just a story and we and we we find that the the fans really connect with the athletes independent of, of what sport they play.
0: Remember, I think Israel's first medals in the Olympics were in judo and in, what was it, sailing? Was it called sailing? I forgot what the...
5: Uh... No, judo is correct. Uh, we won two medals at Barcelona in 1992. Um, and then we won another medal in uh, canoe, canoeing in Sydney in 2000. That was canoeing. Um, but... Yeah, you know, what we find also is that the Israeli team, you know, every Olympics is getting better and better. And we've got some possible, you know, medal chances for, for Tokyo next year, which is now just over a year away.
0: And there's a whole bunch of qualifiers and different matches that are going on between now and then, right?
5: Yeah, you know... And, uh, you know, Israel's very active. And, you know, one of the things is, is that, you know, a lot of the stories, we're, we're some of the only p- people reporting on it because sort of the Israeli media aren't necessarily interested in baseball or softball or other sports like this. They're very focused on soccer or basketball or what there is is in Hebrew. So we're really, you know, sharing a lot of these stories to the world, and it's an incredible privilege that we... Um, Don't take lightly.
0: David Weissman's with us. He's a co founder of Follow Team Israel. I recommend to all of our listeners when you go to Facebook, search Follow Team Israel and like the page. Simple as that. Follow Team Israel and like the page. And by the way, uh, here it is. I I totally messed up by saying sailing. In 2004, Gal Friedman became Israel's first gold medalist in men's windsurfing. That's what it was. Men's windsurfing.
5: Yeah. And that, that was, you know, and that was an unbelievable amount of pride over that event. And it didn't, you didn't have to be a windsurfing <laughs> fan <laughs> That's to, true. to be a part of it. And uh, what we're finding is that also now, more and more, Israel is hosting big, big sporting events. The European Lacrosse Championship for Women is coming up here shortly. Israel's also hosting the Under-20 European Basketball Tournament, um, an event they won last year. So it also gives people the chance to come watch sport here and see these incredible athletes, which sort of comes off the back of last year's Giro d'Italia, the Eurovision. Um, So Israel's really getting more and more into sport, and it's it's an incredible thing to see.
0: Very cool. All things amazing. All right, David, I thank you, and the best regards to everybody at Follow Team Israel. Everyone out there, when you go to Facebook, simply like the page that's called Follow Team Israel. Are you guys on Twitter as well? Am I right about that or not?
5: We, we are uh, a little bit, in Instagram as well, but really our home is, is Facebook. We have 15,000 followers that we've sort of been building up to. Nice. And we'd would, would like to have many more, and it's not just Jewish people. It's people all over the world who love Israel. They just, they just, like I said, make them feel better every day to sort of see what we've got to post.
0: Even if you know nothing about judo and windsurfing, feel free to follow Team Israel by liking Follow Team Israel. David, Tadarab.
5: Thank you very much. A pleasure.
0: That was my conversation with David Wiseman of Follow Team Israel, a great page with tens of thousands of followers on Facebook. That does it for this week's edition of JM Rewind. Stay tuned. Plenty more great programming coming up right here on NSN, the Malcolm Siegel Network.
6: ¡Gracias! I'm a poet, hase jo
3: the love is feres, it is, love is show ma my Il give it to Noah. kei Oh Oh, is your men on <imitation> it's after low Oh, do you love us
7: Gone from Amy and in- Yakadi 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 la 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 Yakani, 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 Yachad, 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 challenge Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh Hashem Zemakai. bye challenge yo yakali 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 go